1: Before we start this episode, we think it's important to recognize the horrible tragedy that happened at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas earlier today, where 19 children and two adults had their lives taken by another senseless act of gun violence. We like to operate as a strictly basketball podcast where Spurs fans can kick back and enjoy discourse about their favorite team, but it would be irresponsible and tone-deaf to ignore an event that left so many families in pain in a community that is less than 90 miles from San Antonio. We ask that you join us in donating whatever you can to Victims First over on GoFundMe to help pay for the funeral expenses for the people who lost their loved ones to this egregious crime. To do so, please visit www.gofundme.com f slash mtdrdc dash texas dash elementary dash school dash shooting dash victims dash fund. Thank you for your support, and our heart goes out to those mourning across the nation.
0: You're listening to Alamo City Limits podcast with Noah Magaro-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock and SB Nation.
1: What's going on Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah Magaro-George, and that's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. And today we're diving right back into some more NBA draft content. But before we get started, man, how are you doing today?
0: Uh, I'm fine, honestly. Mentally, physically, emotionally, I'm fine. I'm just excited to be here, bro. Excited to talk hoops with you, especially the NBA draft. We've been going really, really hard on that after, you know, what was it, nine, ten days off. You know, charged the batteries back up, Went, caught some fish, caught a shark, <laughs> caught a couple of big <laughs> uglies. So, man, I'm I'm thrilled to be here, bro, and uh, I'm excited.
1: Yo, before we get into that, I've been wanting to go fishing for so long. I've been trying to figure out, yeah, I want to go fishing here. I have no I have not been fishing since i was in middle school so like it's just something that i see i saw you do and i was like damn man that looks fun i just want to i want to do it so bad
0: it's just something that that i'm I'm passionate about it's something that you know after all all said and done and i'm in you know my 60s and 70s like i want to retire somewhere you know on the golf man i definitely just want to fish until my last breath baby
1: (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like the dream man and Honestly, like the Spurs in a way, they're kind of like going fishing in a way for prospects. Yep. And just so, so everybody knows, our, our audience, we always let them know when we're recording. So we're recording on May 24th. It's about 7 12 p.m. Central Time. We got a ton of topics to cover tonight, and we're going to go ahead and kick things off with the news. It's a little bit late, but the news that San Antonio is going to be selecting ninth overall, and in almost exactly a month, you know, the 23rd is the draft. Today's the 24th. So Doesn't look like the basketball gods favored San Antonio. The lottery balls did not bounce in their way. They're going to be picking ninth overall. One more time, ninth overall. But before we talk about any of the candidates for the ninth overall pick, let's go ahead and just share our thoughts about San Antonio's positioning inside this year's lottery. And tell me about how you feel in regards to the Spurs not leaping into the top four of that class. Because I think that's what everybody was hoping for.
0: Yeah, I think in general, man everyone should have expected ninth i mean all throughout our podcast i mean that's all we asked people right we were like hey at number nine do you think the spurs are going to get like that was just something you assumed <laughs> was going to happen and you know although they had a 20.3 percent shot at you know kind of going into the top four unfortunately it was the kings that landed in the top <laughs> four not the spurs i think overall you can't be too upset if you're a spurs fan if you already expected this i mean you could be the blazers and you know a team that wasn't even playing NBA players the last month and a half and still land outside of the top five. So, I mean, there's always kind of quote unquote worst, posi- uh, worst positions to be in, but at the same time too, picking ninth is not ideal. Although this is a, a draft that I feel like has a lot of high four players, not a, a lot of like all-star talent in general, man, picking ninth in a year that everyone kind of looked at it as like a rebuilding year. Uh, you finished 14 games under 500. Uh, you would, you would hope to land a little bit, a little bit earlier than that, but all in all, man, it's kind of what we expected, and I don't think anyone should be upset about it. Oh, by the way, before I kick it to you, I was speaking about going fishing, going, you know, gone fishing. The Spurs are fishing for prospects. Right now, they're looking to catch a red. It's red season right now. They're looking to catch a big bull red, and <laughs> I think they're honestly might. They have they have a couple gaff tops in them, maybe a, a speckled trout, but no, I don't <laughs> think they're getting any bull reds, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see what what they land with, and I don't know, man. I keep coming back to this thought that. You're you're absolutely right. You know, it could be a lot worse. You could be the Blazers and you kind of phoned it in for the rest of the season. And then you only get what they got the sixth pick, something like that. But at the end of the day, man, they still have Anthony Simons and Dame Lillard. You know, the Spurs have DeJounte Murray. He's absolutely an all-star. You cannot take that away from him. But it would have been nice to everybody says, you know, go get him help. He needs help. Go sign this. Go sign that. But man, you know, Sacramento, they also phoned it in the last 15 games of the season They move into the top four of the draft, and they only lost four more games than the Spurs, so was it worth it? I mean, we don't have to talk about this too long or anything like that, because I know it's sort of a a topic we've hashed out a million times, but was it really that worth it to knock the Lakers out of the postseason and then lose in the first round to a Zion Williamson-less Pelicans team? You know, like, was it it worth it? Do you feel like it was worth it? And again, we don't have to stick to this long— it can just be a simple yes, no. I'll tell you my thought. The th- my thought is probably not, but I want to hear yours.
0: Okay, so coming into the season, so I don't sound like a hypocrite. This is what I said: Spurs. I believe I. I did well, not believe. I had them going thirty-three and forty-nine, so I was a game off. But at the same time, I thought they'd be you know a really good defensive team. Offensively, they'd struggle. And I always said, hey, hypothetically, if they're you know in the in consideration for the you know the playoffs or the play-in, go for it, right? I anticipated that and said that because i anticipated the west being much better than what it was so if you were in the play in consideration i was expecting you to be hovering around 500 when the spurs are, are 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 you know 10 11 12 13 14 games under 500 i don't see how it made sense for them from an organizational standpoint to try and make the play in or do whatever the case may be uh, with that in, in terms of like advancing you know into the playoffs hypothetically or anything like that because where this team is at right now, where they're going, and the circumstances at hand, it didn't make a lot of sense for me seeing them really just throw everything out there to try to make the play in and ultimately lose to a Pelicans, you know, a Zionless Pelicans team. And really, man, hypothetically, Noah, if they did make it into the playoffs, is, are, are they putting up, you know, more of a fight than the Pelicans did against Phoenix? Probably not, right? So I think in general, man, I don't think it was worth it for them. And, uh, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. but in my opinion, I was always kind of like, man, you need those ping-pong balls, you need those, you know, those chances to land in the top four, and uh, this seemed like the year to really kind of do that, and they didn't.
1: And I'll go ahead and give them this, I definitely 100% admire them being consistent and sticking to their values and doing what they think is best, because there is probably a lot of public pressure from your fan base, right? You've got a lot of people saying, you know, tank away the last 10 games, and I was on that train for sure because it's the last 10 games. You've played 70 of a possible or 72 of a possible 82 games. Like, you know who you are at that point. But I understand why they did it. I'm not going to knock them for it, really. I don't agree with it, but I'm not going to knock them too hard. At the end of the day, you know, it is important to be optimistic, right? And so an optimist can say, well, they have the ninth pick. Dirk was the ninth pick. Tracy McGrady was the ninth pick. Sean Marion, Amari Stoudemire, Andre Iguodala. You know, those guys were the ninth pick uh, in the same token. Pessimists can go ahead and say, well, what about Kevin Knox? What about Patrick O'Brien? What about Ike Diogo? What about Mike Sweetney? What about Dennis Smith Jr.? It goes both ways, right? You've got busts. You've got all-stars. you got a a few superstars in there. But at the end of the day, historically, you look through the picks, most of those players end up being solid starters to role players. And I think if that's somebody that you get as a glue guy, that's fine. You know, I I think... That's not that big of a deal. And honestly, regardless of what history tells us about the draft, we know every class, every prospect, and really, in this in this draft in particular, everyone's going to be unique, right? We can't point to Dirk or point to Mike Sweetney and say, oh, well, what about those guys? You know, that's very anecdotal. So why don't we go ahead and look at the guys who are in this class? Let's, let's move over to something that's a little more concrete. Let's talk about some of the players that the Spurs can get in this sort of middle to late lottery range with the ninth pick. And we'll move ahead to go and talk about our top nine for the ninth pick. This is sort of our like mini big board, if you will. So you can go first, I'll go second, from nine to one of the guys we've talked about on the podcast with guests so far. Who is your nine to one?
0: Yeah, And again, reiterating that. this is about who we've talked about on the podcast. So this is not like my big board of just you know regular players. Uh, we want to be a little bit realistic here, so uh, number one for me would be shade and sharp. Number two would be Keegan Murray. Number three would be Jeremy Sohan. Number four would be Tari Eason. Number five would be Benedict Matherin. Number six would be Johnny Davis. Number seven would be Jalen Duren. Number eight would be A.J. Griffin, and number nine would be Kendall Brown. Just going really, really quickly here. Shaden Sharp for me has the highest upside or highest ceiling out of all these all these prospects, and a team like San Antonio who I believe needs that first guy, that that premier athlete, that premier player he gives you the best shot of getting that. And I think the Spurs operating from that standpoint of needing a player like that, they should be taking, uh, upside swings all day, all night. If they, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, uh, Keegan Murray for me would be the best immediate impact guy in this class out of all the guys I just mentioned. Fantastic on both ends of the floor, really can play that you know that four or five spot that you need. Really, really versatile. I, I I like him a lot, and I know he's an older player, but uh, our our you know our previous guest, Mavs Draft, let us know as well. He's different from your prototypical older prospect, right? He's actually really polished. He's actually really, really good within his skill set, and there's actually upside as well at three levels that um, you know Mavs Draft, Mavs Draft was letting us know about. Uh, so. I buy into that a little bit as well. Jeremy Sohan for me, that was the guy who I mocked uh, the Spurs getting at number nine over that, over on pounding the rock. Sohan for me, I think Noah, uh, feel free to interject here after I uh, say this about Sohan. I think Sohan can, again, carve out a role for himself immediately in a very limited sense. I like the playmaking. I like the defense primarily. That's kind of the big deal for me. I think he just has a really solid feel for the game. And I think pop would really want to kind of throw that out there immediately. Now, you do run the ri- run the risk of uh, potentially not getting him those, you know, on-ball reps, what, you know, whether it's an Austin or you know, kind of giving them the opportunity to have an offense kind of funnel through him. That was kind of a big deal that me and you talked about with Josh Primo heading into the season. So for me, I think Sohan, although he is very raw, I think there's still a chance he can carve out a role for himself rather quickly, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about him and kind of what I said about that right there.
1: Yeah, I like Jeremy Sohan as well. He's seventh on my big board for just this exercise we're doing. I don't, I mean, I think if you're picking someone ninth, they probably have to play for you during their rookie season from day one. I'm not saying he needs to be a starter. I don't think he can start. And I think the reason he probably doesn't start is just because he flat out can't shoot. I mean, he, he took like three threes a game at Baylor. You know, the shot progressively looked a little bit better. He's been working on it just like every other prospect during the pre draft process is working on their flaws. You know, he's working on it. But, you know, I don't care that much about what you can do standing still in an open gym. I care about live game reps. I care about what you maybe did in a scrimmage, what you can bring into a real game. So from that sense, I, I see him not really fitting in next to a team that doesn't have a ton of shooters. So he probably is coming off the bench, which is fine. Personally, I'd love to see him get a lot of reps in the G League. He's freshly 19 years old. He's one of the younger guys in this class. But I totally understand both sides of the argument, right? You know, get him minutes right away or send him to the G League and let him get seasoning. I think you can have a little bit of like a bit of the the best of both worlds, if you will, kind of like they did with Primo last year. But yeah, for the most part, I agree with what you're saying there. I think really his main appeal is that he can potentially guard, you know, two, three, four small ball fives and then be serviceable in a pinch against, you know, small guards like one. So I love that about him. I think he can play make a little bit. He ran quite a few pick and rolls at Baylor, had some intrigue there. So just really interesting player. I don't think it's a superstar. I'm not sure it's even like close to an all-star, but definitely has some upside that is untapped there.
0: Yeah. And then with four with Tari Eason and then Benedict Matherin at four and five, Tari Eason for me, and I, you said you said you know off the air that you think that he's a guy that can give you something immediately. Correct? That's some that's that's someone that you think can play right away.
1: Yeah, I think if you if you draft Tari Eason, he's starting from day one. There's no reason not to start him.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that, and that's why I have him at four. I just think Sohan's upside is just a little bit. Uh, his ceiling is a little bit higher than Eason's, but I really do like Tari Eason uh, a lot. As far as Benedict Matherin, I think out of all like the guards that we talked about, whether it was, um well, outside of like, Shaden Sharp, who you can, I mean, what do you think? He's a guard forward, kind of in the middle. I think Benedict Matherin would be sensational for this team. I think, you know, I know everyone doesn't want another guard, but this guy is just different, man. I think there's a lot of upside off the bounce for him. I think he's, he, obviously, he's uber-athletic. He gives you a lot. I mean, if he can turn into a, a really good pull-up shooter, that gives you a new dimension um, in your offense, if you're the Spurs I really like uh, Benedict Matherin a lot as well. One guy who we both had at eight or uh, lower, or at nine rather, was Kendall Brown. I'm not going to, you know, that's the only, only thing I'm going to spoil about your list is, yeah, we both had him at nine. And I think he doesn't make sense at nine for the Spurs. I think there's, a plethora of prospects that I think would be better even a guy like Dyson Daniels who you know I've talked to you yeah, about so many times <laughs> <laughs> I know I know but I'm saying like at nine like if you're gonna reach on, on a guy like that I think that'd be a, a more understandable pick but I think Kendall Brown maybe at 20 or 25 would make a little bit more sense but I want I want you to tell the people uh, your list as well
1: yeah I'll just say my list we don't have to really break down these guys too much because they've heard us talk about them before so Number nine, I'll go in reverse order, and I'll also put the disclaimer out there that this is not Spurs specific. This is just how I view them as prospects from worst to best. So number nine, again, we know it, Kendall Brown. Then you got Jalen Duren at eight, Jeremy Sohan at seven, Tari Eason at six, AJ Griffin at five, Johnny Davis at four, Benedict Mathurin at three, Shaden Sharp at two, and I have Keegan Murray at one. There's not a whole lot that I really feel like I should expand on here. The only guy who maybe needs to be talked about for a second is A.J. Griffin. He was higher on my board a few weeks ago out of this group. I mean, in my big board in general, but out of this group of nine, he was higher. He was third a few weeks ago. I've moved him down to five. I would even be tempted to move him to six or seven because I'm just not 100% sold on guys recuperating athletically after having so many severe lower extremity injuries pretty serious I mean you saw he lost a lot of pop at, at Duke from when he was in high school on the EYBL circuit playing AAU ball you know just isn't the same athlete you know if he's not the same athlete and he can't really create space and he's not going to be able to you know defend and he's not going to be able to you know, finish all that well around the rim because he can't, I mean, he finishes well around the rim, but he can't get there that often because he's so athletically limited and doesn't generate space. And he's mostly a standstill shooter, man. It sounds like you're bringing in on offense, at least like a smaller Keldon in terms of someone who can stand still shoot and then attack closeouts and has some utility in transition. And then just doesn't get above the rim like Keldon can, you know, isn't, isn't as, doesn't have as much burst as Keldon does. And then defensively, I just don't know how he fits with the Spurs. So that's one guy that I wanted to expand upon because I know I was higher on him and we've talked about him quite a bit, but just a guy that unfortunately, as I continue to watch more and more guys and I see more of his games, I'm just not as sold as I was earlier in the season.
0: Yeah. And I think for me to switch into another guy, I think Jalen Duran is a guy that I like what he brings in a in a in a very specific role to San Antonio for San Antonio. But I think for me at number nine, and this is no disrespect to his game and, you know, his upside or anything like that, but I think you can find that kind of archetype, that playstyle later in the draft or in free agency, and you could spend that ninth pick on a guy that maybe offers you something that isn't as Not to say it's easy to find, but isn't as easy to find, if that makes sense. I I like Duran. I think, you know, as in that rim runner role, I think he could be really effective right out of the box. I mean, who knows, right? The Spurs may need a center. I wrote that in the mock draft about drafting Christian Coloco. With Yaka being a free agent after this year, hey, they could need a center, right? But I think the Spurs would be better off not going that route. Then again, I'm a guy that's really big on upside, especially at the, you know, two, three, four spot. And I think uh, I think Duran probably wouldn't be the best value pick in my opinion, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that too.
1: Yeah, I really like Jalen Duran. He is eighth on this board for me, but I would be fine if the Spurs took him. I think he has upside as a player who is not Dwight Howard. Let me preface it. He is not Dwight Howard, but athletically, uh, his frame, his measurements, he's very similar to Dwight Howard in that regard. You know, plays above the rim, runs the floor really well, is a little bit stiff, You know, not as fluid, kind of like Dwight Howard, where he was excellent athlete, got above the rim, lob threat, you know, swatting shots left and right, has insanely long arms and has an insane catch radius and block radius because he can just get up so high with those long appendages. But at the end of the day, I, I don't think he he's a guy who offers you a lot in terms of, you know, can he create his own shot in the post? Not not really. He he's not really good at creating his shots. He's a little foul happy. He's not really gonna be a shooter at all, in my opinion. I don't think he has any I mean he probably has a little bit of shooting potential, but from what we've seen, shooting would be like the last thing you want him working on, because he's got a lot of other things to to iron out. So much like with a lot of these guys, you got you're gonna have to be patient if you take a Jalen Duran, but he wouldn't be a bad pick. You know, all that said, I think he would be a really good value, especially because you're gonna have to eventually pay a Yaka Pirtle. And maybe you don't want to do that if you're the Spurs. Maybe you want to have a cheaper option who maybe does have all-star upside because I do think he has all-star upside as a guy who can come in, probably give you, you know, like that 16, 13 at his peak, you know, not creating a lot of his own offense, but really is just a force on both ends because of his physicality, because of his frame, his athleticism. But, you know, it's a long way to go before he gets there. So, I have other guys. That's why we both have a lot of other guys ahead of him.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think kind of this is a good place to end off because I just remember on the outline too, we're supposed to go a little bit in depth about a couple of players that I kind of already talked about. But I mean, hey, continuing with the theme of the ninth pick, the Spurs sent several representatives, including Manu, uh, to the draft combine last week. And they met with Johnny Davis, Tari Eason, and Jeremy Sohan, all of which were just on our big board. You know, kind of each of these players are logical candidates for San Antonio's lone lottery selection. So, Noah, how would you feel if they drafted any one of those guys and, in, you know, in order? I mean, you already ranked them. Did you at all kind of, you know, as a guy riding by the team, did you get excited to kind of see like, hey, they're starting to lay the foundation uh, and maybe, you know, this is the the start of maybe one of these guys end up becoming a Spur?
1: Yeah, it was exciting to see. I don't think it was that surprising because they do need to fill out the forward position. So Sohan and Eason seem like logical people to visit with, you know, sit down with them, talk to them, see where their head's at. The one that surprised me a little bit, and I guess I'm not that surprised because last year the Spurs ended up talking to over 70 prospects in this pre-draft process. So the one guy who sort of surprised me was Johnny Davis just because they don't really need another guard. You know, can you pass up on him if he's there and and the other guys are not? I don't think so. I think you'd have to take him. But fit-wise, I think he's pretty awkward. You know, mid-range specialist, doesn't really stretch the floor out to three. You know, I think he's a good two-way player. I think he makes sense in terms of a guy who can, you know, create defense to offense, get you out in transition, but he's not really a guy who creates for others and super high volume, like his volume in terms of his usage is on par with what Trey Young saw with the Atlanta Hawks this year. So he was most effective in a high usage role, didn't really create for others. Maybe that was a little bit of his teammates because this was a team that was supposed to be bad. They lost a lot of upperclassmen. And he carried Wisconsin for, for really the entire year. So maybe you can read into that a little bit, but for the most part, I just think it's an awkward fit as a guy who just doesn't make a lot of sense for the Spurs based on who they already have on the roster.
0: Yeah, I agree with that as well. I think if you're gonna take now, you know, feel free to disagree with me here. I think if you're gonna take a, a guard, which Some people think that he actually has a little bit more position flex, so you can kind of uh, put him at the three. But if you're going to take someone like that, I think you'd take Benedict Matherin over Johnny Davis, personally. That's where I would go. But I I agree 100%. I also think this may be kind of biasing me a little bit as well. But I think if you have guys that are similar in in, skill set or similar just as players right now, as I currently stand, not necessarily in the skill set like I just mentioned, but just similar kind of players right now, I think you take the guy with the higher athletic upside, or the more the better athlete of the two. In my opinion, that's kind of what I would do, and I think Matherin is that. But at the same time, too, it just doesn't make sense, like you mentioned, uh, considering what they really need and kind of what they have right now. I think if you're gonna take a, a guard, or you're gonna take someone like that. I, I would much rather you, or much rather they do that at kind of twenty or twenty-five, and they're still solid talent to get there. But that's kind of where I stand. And in terms of you know the couple other players, Tari Eason, everyone knows kind of. My thoughts on him, I think he's just a really solid player, really high-floor guy, and like you mentioned, can come out of the box and play immediately. You said start immediately. I would love to see that happen. I don't think if you draft Tari Eason, he's he's spending much time in Austin. Uh, and as far as Sohan...
1: I don't think he would play any games in Austin, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, I said the same thing about Devin yeah. Vassell, and he never played a game in Austin because they just don't need it.
0: And, well, and not only that, too. I mean, look at this hypothetically, right? Everyone likes to talk about the Spurs sending people to Austin. I'm not gonna lie to y'all, like this is all due respect. They can't afford to do that. <laughs> not 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 what they got going on at the four. Not what they got going on in general in the front uh, in the front court at three, four and five. They can't afford to do that. So that's why I think even with a guy like Sohan, like I was mentioning too, I mean, I would think you want to kind of get him reps immediately as well. I mean, not maybe not as a starter, but they need I mean, Noah, tell me if I'm exaggerating, but at the four especially. They need guys who can play right now cuz that that position is is it's almost as as significant as the backup 5 almost.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they need guys who can play right now cuz I don't think the Spurs are like a team that's competing for yeah, anything. Yeah, so if you're fair. not really competing for anything, I'm fine if they send Jeremy Sohan to the Austin Spurs, let them run some offense through him, let him be a primary option, see how the how how it works out cuz he is kind of a raw prospect that has a lot of intriguing talents to him. But I think much like Primo, and I think we talked about this off air a little bit, but much like Primo, if you can send him to the G League for a while and then you kind of integrate him into the lineup slowly and then by the end of the year he's starting something like that, then do it, you know? Like, I'm 100% fine with that. But Jeremy Sohan, again, just awkward fit in terms of the lineup because he's not a shooter. You know, he he has some upside as a distributor out of the pick and roll, but not really refined in that regard. You know, where does he fit? You know, because he's a good cutter, but... Is that the only thing he's going to be doing then? You know, because you're not going to put the ball in his hands in San Antonio. You're just not. Yeah. So I just kind of struggle to see where he fits in
0: from day one. Do you think potentially if they brought him off the bench, right, out of you know as a rookie, and they paired him with a guy like Doug McDermott at the three? I don't know what you do at the one and two right now. You know, obviously you need to get a backup five. But I would imagine if you brought him off the bench and you surrounded him, like, not saying he's going to be the LeBron James of your, the engine of your offense. But hypothetically, right, you talked about how he's not, you know, a great shooter or anything like that right now. I think you could play him immediately if you have the personnel that matches up with what he brings, uh, you know, well, right out of the gate. But the Spurs also don't really have that. I mean, outside of Doug McDermott, they don't really have a guys that can, you know, shoot off movement. I mean, Josh Pimo can't off, you know, on that bench unit, you know, Doug McDermott can. So maybe they can kind of carve out something like that that actually fits with him. But that's kind of what I would envision, you know, Sohan immediately would, you know, kind of see him in that role as basically someone that comes in year one off the bench, not like a guy like Tari Eason, who I think would start uh, immediately. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that, too, because... I actually think that's kind of a pretty a pretty cool idea with a guy like Primo. You got Doug out there. You got Sohan. Obviously, you need a couple other guys out there to kind of fill out the lineup. But I could see that working. But then again, that's still a pretty raw lineup with a guy like Sohan and Primo out there uh, at the same time off the bench.
1: Yeah I, yeah, I just don't know how it works. I don't know how it would work. And I don't know if you cater to him. I mean, you can. I mean, you took him ninth. He's your highest pick since Tim Duncan. Maybe you cater to him a little bit, but I don't know that you have the personnel right now. Like, that's probably a question that if they do pick him, we'll probably get a better idea once they start signing free agents or making trades or whatever they end up doing. Because they're really, I mean, we'll get to that eventually, but they're going to have to make a lot of decisions this off season. I mean, they've got guys on non-guaranteed contracts. They've got upwards of $40 million in cap space if they want to, depending on who they want to bring back and who they don't. I mean, they're... So many, I mean, so, so, so many options for them this offseason. But we can we can stick with the, with the topic of draft for now.
0: Yeah, well, and now that too, we can, um, since we'll be talking, we'll move on right here. Because you just mentioned how, you know, free agents and everything like that as well. Well, I don't know about you, no, I I almost forgot. They got two other first-round picks, and they got an early second-round pick. You know, they sat down with John Butler, uh, Margin Bocham, Gabriel Persidia, and Patrick Baldwin Jr. So, what can you tell us about these prospects? You know, How do you think they performed in the scrimmages? And at you know, 20, 25, and 38, the picks that I almost forgot about, You know, kind of tell us if they make sense and, and who in particular makes sense at those picks.
1: Yeah, I won't go too in-depth about the scrimmages or anything. One guy who did stand out out of all of them, because not all of these guys participated in the scrimmages, but one guy who really stood out to me was John Butler, but he stood out for the same way that he stood out at Florida State University. And we can start with him, so... If you think Chet Holmgren is skinny, you're going to think this kid is like skinny, skinny. I mean, he's basically yeah. the same height as Chet Holmgren. He's almost seven foot one, and he only weighed 174.4 pounds at the combine. That's his official weight. So, right off the bat, he would be one of the 10 lightest players in the NBA. He is very much a project. And the thing that you like about him is, as a seven foot one guy, he moves very fluidly. You know, he can shoot off movement a little bit. He's a good standstill shooter. He can attack closeouts when guys are, you know, aggressively or almost over-aggressively trying to chase him off the three-point line. He can be a little bit of a lob target. He's not a great athlete. If you go look at the combine numbers, I know everybody was, you know, freaking out about Patrick Baldwin Jr. having that 26-and-a-half-inch vertical or something like that, but, you know, John Butler measured, I think, at 28 inches, so it wasn't like he was anything special, but he's long. He moves really well. He shoots the ball well. He's fairly good as a rim protector, although he's pretty raw. I think he's more of a guy that if you take him, you know, you're looking at like a two-, three-year project, sort of like a Alexey Pokashevsky. I'm not saying they're the same player, but that would be a similar situation and understanding of this is going to be a long-term developmental project. So I like him a lot, but I think I like him better if I see what he does in year two at FSU. I think he should go back to school. I don't know that he will. He might have a first-round promise. I'm not really sure what the plan is for him, but if you could snag him with, you know, the, the 38th pick or the 25th pick, I think that's fairly good value for a team that, you know, they they could be looking at a really intriguing and unique forward slash center prospect who has some guard skills.
0: Yeah, and so I want to, I also want to hear about uh, Gabriel, Gabe, Gabriel, Gabriel, Gabriel. Proceda. yeah, I don't know how to say his name exactly, but I think I think what's what's intriguing to me, you know, what are kind of just reading up on him a little bit as well, is so he played twenty six games. I can't even. I'm not going to pronounce the name. I'm not going to even try to. Right? Fortitudo Bologna. <laughs> yeah, good job. Yeah, good job. Good job. But yeah, he, so so he played. He played eighteen and a half minutes last year. Shot, you know, fifty two percent from the field, thirty eight point three percent from three, uh, seven. You know, seven points per game. So not a crazy high, you know, volume or anything like that. But. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know very much about this guy. I don't. I haven't really read up too much about him, uh, other than kind of looking at the raw numbers and kind of you know reading here and there. But for me, it seems like that would be a, 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 a or looks like at least it would be kind of a stash pick. Some that they'd pick at 38 uh, hypothetically and kind of let him cook in in Austin or whatever they want to do. Uh, I don't think he, you know hypothetically just kind of looking at him that he'd be a guy that comes in right out of the gate. Am I wrong? Uh, kind of you know after saying that or. Kind of what do you think about him or where would you think they'd pick him at anyway?
1: Yeah, so Prochita's interesting. I think you could draft and stash him if you want to, which would be interesting for the Spurs because we know if they do keep all four picks, then you have four rookies and they don't play rookies that much. So it sort of creates a log jam for minutes. And so in in regard to Gabriel Prochita, he is a guy who measured pretty well at the combine athletically. Uh, he's six foot six. He, I think, he's one hundred ninety or one hundred ninety-two, somewhere around that range. He's, you know, f- got fairly good size, good frame, and he's a and he's a guy who can shoot the three ball really well. And and one thing that I, that you mentioned, and I'm not like, um, I'm not correcting you just for the sake of correcting you, but I think one thing that's really important for all fans to realize is, you look at the best scorers in Europe, right? Who are playing in the Euro League, or they're playing in like the best basketball leagues like the Ligue 1 in France or the uh, Lega A in Italy. These guys are playing on teams that it, first off it's very equal opportunity offense. They don't usually run heliocentric style offenses. So you're not going to see a lot of guys averaging a ton of points. Like the, the highest scores are going to average, you know, 16, 17. If, you know, crazier they might get to 20. You know, so so guys who are averaging 7 points per game it's not an NBA seven points per game. You know, if I had to make a comparison, if you're averaging like seven points per game in the NBA, that's the equivalent of like 11, 12, 13 off the bench, you know? And that's what his role was. He did come off the bench for most of the year. Really good three-point shooter on decent volume. And I think for me... I'm not sure he'll ever be a guy who really creates a lot of his own offense, but he's a good cutter. He shoots the three ball off off movement, off standstill looks, got some shot versatility there. He can attack closeouts. And when I say he's like a, a very high motor player, you know, he attacks the offensive boards. He had a lot of loud put back dunks. You know, he can surprisingly get up there when he's attacking a closeout, really stuff at home. So like he's a guy who I think probably not a first round target. I think he's probably like a fringe first round talent, probably early second round guy. But if you get him with the 38th pick, you know, maybe you bring him to Austin, maybe you stash him, but either way, really like him. Pretty young guy as well. You know, he's only 19 years old. He will be 20 in June, so he'll be 20, like, seven days or so, but I really like him. He met with the Spurs. He met Manu in particular, and they went back and forth in Italian at the Combine, so... You know, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it is kinda of cool to see the Spurs looking international because really they've kind of moved away from the international thing outside of like the Luka pick recently. It's mostly been domestic here.
0: Yeah, I I, I can't r yeah, I can't remember remember outside of Luca. Was it Davis? Would Davis be the last the last guy they went that was?
1: Uh, either Davis or Livio Von Jean Charles or it might have even been Nikola Milutinov. I mean, it, 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 but they really haven't. I know they're kind of associated with like international European talent, but Spurs haven't really stocked up on these, you know, like European guys in the draft for a while. You know, they've, they've, again, they've gone mostly domestic. I mean, you look at their draft history DeJounte Murray, Keldon Johnson, Derek White, Trey Jones, Kendari Weatherspoon, Joe Wieskamp. I mean, if you want to consider Josh Primo international, by all means, do it. But he's in Canada. They're like a, you know like a hop and a skip away they're not like it's not like they're they're in France they're not overseas so but yeah that's mostly been like you know local guys not local in texas but in terms of local in terms of the the the, the nation they're from united states
0: yeah and well another guy another guy that kind of stood out uh, to me was marjon Beauchamp, who you know he measured really well in my opinion six six and a half at a seven foot uh seven foot wingspan uh, so from just an archetype perspective looking at just his his body i mean he's going to offer you some versatility there as well one thing that i'm kind of kind of like iffy on in general is is his ability to, to shoot the basketball uh right now he shot 24.2 percent from three last year uh, for the ignite uh, although the true shooting percentage is much better at 63.8 percent i'm a little curious to see kind of what his role would be at the next level I like the size. I think that, you know, on the ball as a defender, he could be really, really well. Seems kind of like one of those gritty defenders on the ball, uh, like kind of like those pesky defenders that, you know, is really, really solid, really valuable, and for a team like San Antonio that needs versatility, especially on the defensive end, he seems like someone that could really fill that role for you at pick 25 uh, if they wanted to go that route. But you mentioned, you know, not to compare the prospects, but with Sohan how it would be a little bit uh, difficult to place him in, you know, in a lineup because he can't really shoot. I wonder if you feel the same about Beauchamp, you know, heading into this, this year.
1: A little bit, but I think it's less pronounced because you would be taking him with like the 20th or the 25th pick. Yeah. I have him 20th on my big board, but I think the things that he does well from day one, you know, the percentile is not gonna stand out. He finished in the 69th percentile as a transition fish transition finisher in the G League, but that's really where his strength lies. I mean, he's an excellent open f- floor athlete. He's a guy who gets above the rim in a hurry off 1 or 2 feet. He's a guy who can sort of be a lob threat on a fast break or something like that. Really really strong, NBA ready body. I mean, just you you take one look at him and you can see, I mean, this guy looks like a grown man. I mean, he is a grown man. He is huge and not in a bad way, but just filled out, muscular, phen- phenomenal athlete. The the thing that I think will he'll struggle with is where 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 do you put him on the offensive end cuz as you mentioned not really a great shooter he did shoot 12 of 31 on catch and shoot looks this season so that's somewhat respectable the catch and shoot looks that's about 38% so if he's just going to be a stationary shooter fine you know maybe you can make some progress there he's working with chip or he's you know working with the spurs staff but on every other attempt that was not catch and shoot he was 6 of 35 17.1%. That's really really bad. So I just don't know that he's going to have utility off the dribble like that. He has a really slow load up in terms of, you know, transitioning from a dribble move into a pull-up jumper. He had a lot of his mid-range jumpers blocked or altered pretty severely. So I just don't know what he does except for drive to the rim, really physical driver, finished 62.1% of his shots in the half court at the rim, which is a really good number in the half court. So I like him, but I think his number one calling card is going to be defense. I think he has elite defensive traits. He's more of a wing than a guard, but I can see him guarding two, three, and four in the NBA being a lockdown guy. You know, seven foot wingspan, great frame, really good feet, really great lift, doesn't foul very often, you know, great practice of verticality, Has good instincts in the passing lanes. He also does a really good job of when he's helping, when he's digging. You know, he can kind of dislodge the ball from a man away. So really love how he fits defensively. And in terms of the Spurs loving to push the pace, he fits that identity. But, you know, can't shoot, doesn't create for himself that much. You know, lost a lot of balls just like dribbling. You know, nobody poked it away. He just sort of out of control. So I don't know what to expect. Maybe things change when he gets into the NBA. I know I'm sort of rambling, and I'll bring it to a close here. But no, when good. he was in high school, you know, dynamite score. Big-time score on the AAU-EYBL circuits, right? Just if you think of a guy like boy, a, a, a man among boys, that was him. And then he said, you know, I'm declaring for the draft. He wanted to really start working out, and the pandemic hit. And he went, oh, you know, what do I do? So he went to Yakima Community College. You look at the tape there again. Man among boys, thirty point seven points per game. And there he actually shot above forty percent on three and it was on over eight attempts per game. You know, it still kind of looked slow, but he could get away with it because it was against that level of competition. So I don't know where to put him. It was a weird situation with the ignite. He played with a lot of ball dominant guards from Jaden Hardy, Scoot Henderson, Dyson Daniels. Like what you know, does he look different in a different context? So I don't know where I land on him, but I do know you know he's twenty on my big board, and if the Spurs take him twenty or twenty five, I think that's really good value.
0: And the last guy would be Patrick Baldwin Jr., someone that uh, made <laughs> a lot of headlines for the wrong reasons. Not necessarily his faults. I mean, it's not you know, <laughs> it's just you know, it's it's not all his his own doing, but. You know, hypothetically, that, or not hypothetically, in, in the real world, man, a lot of people were pretty shocked at a lot of his, you know, measurables, at his, you know, his, his what was it, his two-foot jump, his, his, his vertical, all kinds of stuff. And for me, I feel, I feel I felt a little bit bad because he was someone that hypothetically people were kind of looking at as like, hey, you know, later in the first round, you know, he could be a steal, you know, for, you know, for any kind of team, you know, late in the first but it seems like the combine was kind of like the, the final nail in the coffin for me, hypothetically, when it comes to where he could go. Because he doesn't have a lot working for him as a shooter, right? He's a 26% shooter uh, on 64 attempts. The true shooting percentage is only 45%. He, in, in theory, you would think he'd be a mismatch for anyone on the offensive end with just you know how big and long he is. But in general, it seems like he's really limited as an athlete. And I'm just... Noah, I don't really know. I don't know what to what to expect or what to think because if if the, the the measurables and and you know the kind of the raw athletic raw traits just aren't there, and the shooting isn't there, right? The the playmaking isn't there. You know, one point five assists at you know over two turnovers a game. I really don't know, Noah, how to assess this, right? Like, and he could be a solid you know bench player, a solid start in the NBA. I'm not saying he can't be, but for the Spurs. If you're going to take, you know, a swing on someone, I think you should do it at nine or you do it, you know, with uh, with uh, uh, proshida that you just mentioned. I don't think I would do it with a guy like Patrick Baldwin Jr., but feel free to tell me I'm crazy.
1: Yeah, so I think people have like a pretty poor context of what he's able to do. You know, when he was on the EYBL circuit playing on that Nike Elite Youth Basketball circuit, he was a sharpshooter, you know, high volume, over six three-point attempts per game. Shot over 40% from three for his career on that circuit when he was in high school. And he looked really good with the under-19 Team USA team that won gold with Chet Holmgren taking the you know MVP award for that tournament when Team USA took gold. I think it was almost a year ago exactly to the day. And his context at Milwaukee was really, really bad. You know, he was a guy who, yes, he was the seventh highest rated recruit in the ESPN class. And I always thought that was sort of ridiculous. You know, he always seemed like a guy, even look at his AAU tape. He is a complimentary player. He should not be your alpha. You know, he was never a good shot creator on the EYBL circuit. He was always a great scorer because he was such a good shooter, a smart cutter, a guy who could take advantage of mismatches in the post, but he wasn't a guy who really created a lot of his own shots. So he goes to a Milwaukee school in a lesser conference and, He's asked to be, you know, go be our guy. And because he was on a roster that, let's be honest, no offense to the guys on Milwaukee, but such a depletion of talent there, they didn't have to pay attention to anybody else, really. I mean, when he got the ball in his hands, you're not really concerned about everybody else. So he had a lot of attention on him. He took a lot of really bad shots early into the shot clock. And he also was asked to be the number one guy and in a less than ideal role. So... I just I think the context was poor. The first six games of the season looked really good. You know, shot more than six threes per game, shot over 40 percent from three, and then those final five games that he played were mixed in between injuries. I think there was an ankle injury, a knee injury, and then he sat out the rest of the season. I think he was just done. His dad got fired as head coach while he was still there. Just a really awkward situation. So when I think of Patrick Baldwin, Jr., we always knew he wasn't a great athlete. You know, you ask anybody who watched him, they knew he wasn't a great athlete. I think this only confirmed that, maybe made it worse. I mean, you look at the athletic measurables that he did at the Combine. Second slowest lane agility time. He had the sixth slowest shuttle run. (laughs) He had the fourth slowest three-quarter sprint. He had the fourth lowest vertical jump in NBA Combine history. Not at this one, in NBA Combine history history. And then he also had the second lowest just standing vertical leap. So looked really bad athletically. But if you're realistic with what he can do, and that number one thing is shoot the ball, then you can probably take a bet with him in the later first round if that's all you want. Because defensively, I don't think he's offering you much. He's never really offered you much. And he's kind of not to the same degree, but similar to A.J. Griffin, who got injured a lot in high school. This is another guy who suffered quite a few injuries on his lower extremities in high school, and I think that sapped whatever, you know, athleticism he had to begin with. So you got to be realistic with what he is. I have him 30th on my big board. I wouldn't take him with the 25th pick because I think there will be better options. But if the Spurs do, it's not a big reach. It's just you know what you're getting, and I don't know that that really necessarily makes sense for you.
0: Well, I think that's a good place to stop because you mentioned, you know, there might be better options there. Let's talk about options, Noah. Who doesn't like options, right? Who doesn't like choices? Who doesn't like what they can do, right? And, you know, before we close things out, I want to know what you would do if you were in charge of the front office. You know, as we just mentioned, you know, the Spurs hold the 9th, 20th, 25th, and 38th pick in the 2022 NBA draft. You know, they're going to have an abundance of options, man. I mean, you saw the fish I was catching from sharks to big uglies over the weekend. (laughs) Man, they can catch reds, trouts, everything, right? Like you mentioned, they're going fishing. So... Would you keep all the picks? Would you, you know, trade them to move up? Would you trade them for an established player? What would you do? What are some ideas that you have? You know, just what would you do? That's a great question. I know
1: that this is probably going to come off a little bit controversial because we already said this on the last podcast, but priority number 1, if Keegan Murray slides a little bit and he's, you know, there at 6 or 7, I wouldn't hesitate to pack up, package up a few of these picks to move up into the draft and go get him. Like He is a guy who makes sense from day one. If you're San Antonio, you want to be competitive, there's a guy who can be competitive from day one. I firmly think, just like Richard was saying, Mavs Draft was saying on the last podcast, he's a guy who you know maybe will never be an all-star. There is some upside there, but if you're looking for a guy who can come in right away, probably will compete for rookie of the year, he won't hurt you on the defensive end, and he will provide positives as a score, as a transition threat then you're going with Keegan Murray. I mean, it just makes sense. Now, if that's not available, I think number two course of action is package 20 and 25, try to get up to 16 or 17, maybe right outside the lottery, and go for an Osman D'Ang. Love that guy. Think he is going to be an excellent NBA player if he reaches his high-end outcome. I know some people have compared him to Giannis or whatever. He's not Giannis. That's, That's not his thing. He's not the athlete that Giannis is. But if we're talking about a guy who... Really moldable, really exciting, intriguing, raw talent? Absolutely. You know, he he's a guy who's 6'10", handles the ball, high-level passing reads, can shoot the three off the dribble, can shoot the three standstill, can attack closeouts, can create and transition. And then on the other end, he does make some boneheaded plays from time to time. You know, he's 18 years old, or I guess he just turned 19. Every young guy's going to make mistakes. But the flashes he had as an on-ball defender, as a team defender... You're looking at a really special two-way talent that I think could ultimately, at his high-end outcome, be an all-star. I don't think it's going to be a superstar, and I'm sure a lot of people said the same thing with Giannis, right? Oh, that guy's not going to be a superstar. So you never know. You can throw that caveat in there. You never know. But for me to say a guy has all-star potential, I think that's saying a lot because I don't say that very often. So I like him a lot. And in the event that you can't trade up Dame for either of those guys, they're gone. I think you keep all four picks and maybe just look for a combination of upside and high floor players, you know, get a good mix of those two. But what, what would you do, man? I mean, I've, I've spent an hour talking about what I want to do. What would you do with those picks? Would you keep them? Are you trading them? Are you looking for another player? Like what is your course of action? If you're the front office, it's no longer Brian, Wright. It's now Dame Bartonek is the general manager of the (laughs) San Antonio Spurs. What is he doing in his first draft as general manager?
0: Yeah, so I think one last point on on, on Dieng that I kind of really kind of stood out to me is for a bigger guy, kind of a kind of a more slim guy. I mean, he's still only two, he's two hundred pounds. So I mean, Pogacevski came into the league win like one, you know one seventy, 170, one seventy five. So I think there's a little bit more to like you know frame wise, but not only that too. He's a really solid athlete. Like for his size, he moves really really well. I don't know if that kind of stuck out to you as well. But I think as an athlete, he looked he looked really solid that's one thing that intrigued me and i think if the spurs did trade up into that you know 15 16 range 17 that would make a lot of sense for me in terms of trading up for keegan murray i agree with that 100 percent, noah i i I tweeted this you know on my birthday last week shout out to you know eric salinas really cool guy i i just told him i was like man i think trading up to six or seven for keegan murray would just make sense for a team you know in my opinion that Needs good basketball players, right? That's kind of as, as you know, bluntly and as simple as I can put it, the Spurs just need good talent. They need good players. Keegan Murray's a good player and he's a young player. Yeah, he's a little bit older, but there's just a lot to like, especially at a position of need. He offers just about everything that you need at the four. He can, you know, really defend in my opinion three through five with ease. I really, really like him. I think he'd make so much sense for the Spurs. Another thing I would do if we're talking about trade up scenarios, no I'm gonna drive you crazy, but let's say they can trade up to fourteen or fifteen too and Dang's there or Dang's not there no more. I'd do it for Dyson Daniels. I'm a Dyson Daniels guy, man. I I I truly am. I don't know if there's, you know, all star superstar potential there, but I think he could be a really solid pro, really solid playmaker. uh, you know, six seven and a half in shoes with a you know six ten and a half wingspan. I think he plays the game the Spurs way. I think he'd fit really well with what the Spurs want to do, and I think he would make sense. But lastly, you mentioned keep all four picks and just draft a combination of you know high-floor players, maybe an upside swing here or there. Again, folks, for a team that needs good basketball players, that's a beautiful philosophy. That's beautiful. That's exactly what you want because this team is not in a position to compete right now, Right. The, the game they should be playing is the long game, the three to five year plan kind of game. And if you're in a position like they are to maximize, you know, the talent that you can get by getting guys who can contribute out of the box, and you have a couple guys you're developing, you know, in the wings, that just makes so much sense to me. It it, it would really be maxim. That's maximizing your 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 shots at being better, at getting better, as you know, simple as I can put it. And I think for the Spurs, that makes a ton of sense. You're going to fight me on the Dyson Daniels thing eventually, man. Eventually <laughs> we'll have a good conversation about him. I, today's not that day because I still want I still want to do a little bit more research uh, before I kind of hit, hit you hard with it because you'll give it back to me and I need to make sure I have every every you know amount of, of just info I can to get right back to you, but... I really, really like uh, Dyson Daniels. I think just in general, I know you love him. I know, I, I, I know. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, I just. I. I like. I like it. I do. I just do. I mean, what? What are you gonna do, Noah? You know what I mean? But
1: it's not that I don't like him either. I mean, like I, he's thirteenth on my big board, so like clearly, I like him. I just think if you're trading up to get near the end of the lottery, or you're trading to get right outside the lottery, you should be looking to get a guy who's got high upside. I mean you you should be like a Nikola Jovic or maybe you want to go Jaden Hardy or maybe you even want to go with yep. again like uh the the guy I mentioned Osman Dieng like or if you're if you really love him that much I don't love him that much but I would understand it Leonard Miller, you know the the Canadian man of mystery in this class, but I wouldn't do it for a Dyson Daniels just simply based on the fact that I I just don't know that he has that much upside I I just don't I don't see it and you know contrary to what you said I I just don't think he's a very good fit with the Spurs like yes he can defend but he can't score and his best attribute is his passing and his defense so again we know he can play defense that's great but if your best attribute is passing and you're not a scoring threat a lot of passing is predicated on your ability to be a threat right people are focused on you and it makes your job easier. In the G League, it was gonna it's a lot easier to score than it is in the NBA. And he already sort of had trouble, you know, creating advantages for himself and therefore creating advantages for others. Made some really, really beautiful passes, high level reads, not normal stuff. But he's not, you know, he's not a Josh Giddy. He's not a Lonzo ball. I think he is a connective tissue guy, but he can't shoot. You know, I I don't really believe in him shooting right now. As the percentages weren't good. They got better at the end of the year, but such a small sample size, You know, if he's not able to do those things at a high level, then you have a guy who doesn't really do a whole lot for you. And so at the end of the day, I just don't feel like you can really bet on a Dyson Daniels with the ninth pick. And I know that's not what you were saying, but I wouldn't trade up for a Dyson Daniels at 15 or 16. I would be trading up because I want to get a player who, let's try to get value where... You know, this This is a long-term plan. This is a guy who could be an all-star one day because that's what you're missing. You're missing star-level talent. And I just don't see it with Dyson. I think he's a beautiful connector piece. I think if you're a playoff team and you're looking for a guy who can come in here and just be that connective tissue, keep the ball moving, you know, make plays because his teammates create advantages or maybe you're hoping you can develop him as a shooter and you need some defense, absolutely. I love it. But for the Spurs... I just don't think it makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I think I think obviously right now coming out of the box there's definitely a lot of things that you would want him to improve on and the shooting is the biggest part. I personally think that maybe that there is going to be something. And then there's upside there. That's why I would trade up for him personally. I think if he becomes, you know, a solid spot-up shooter, I think that would do a lot for him. But I, I agree. I, I agree right out of the gate. You're not getting that right. You're going to get a really solid defender, really solid playmaker. In my opinion, I think he's a high-floor guy. But I agree. at the same time, too, I can understand that perspective. I, I can understand that perspective as well. But like, I, like I said, man, I think the Spurs just in general, kind of, you know, kind of wrapping it up here. I think the Spurs, like I've mentioned numerous times, they're gonna have a chance to get a lot of solid players. I mean, there's a lot of high-floor guys, and they can take an upside swing on Dang or, or or Sohan or whatever the case may be. But all in all, this is a really good a really good offseason draft for them to not improve and become a championship contender or improve and to be a lock for the playoffs. But to really build a solid foundation, a solid a solid core of guys that have high floors, I think this is a, a really good offseason and a good draft to do that. And who knows, you know, what happens. You know, I don't think the Spurs are going to be competing for the playoffs next season. But that's, you know, who's to say in two or three years, you know, kind of starting, you know, laying the foundation for this house uh, if it doesn't, you know, come into a nice two-story crib on, you know, in the Dominion in San Antonio, right? <laughs> like, who knows what happens. So, I think I think in general this is a really solid, a really solid position that the Spurs are in, and I think it would be really hard for them to walk out of this out of this you know off season period as losers, regardless of whether they get the big fish, regardless of they get the big shark or not. I think they're, it's really hard for them not to really do well this off I
1: agree with you, man. I don't think that there's a lot of scenarios in which they can be losers, and I don't think that they're probably going to be a playoff team if they are a playoff team, and this is without them getting DeAndre Aiden or a Zach Levine, and we'll save that for another, for another day. But as it stands right now, wh- whoever they draft right now, if they get, you know, a Keegan Murray, maybe we're looking at a lower playoff seed, something like that. But I think if you are a Spurs fan, and if you have been paying attention to the Spurs for the last two and a half decades, there really isn't a team over that span that has developed talent better than them for the last 25 years. There just simply isn't. From DeJounte Murray to the Corey Josephs to Dewan Blairs to you've got guys like Kyle Anderson. Uh, you got Keldon Johnson. You've got Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili. I mean, you've got so many success stories from the draft. They're not all superstars. They're not all all-stars. You know, some of them are just role players. But if you truly believe in the front office that they know how to identify talent and that their coaching staff can develop that talent and get the most out of them, then you got to be excited that even if the Spurs can't trade up like we both want them to, that, oh, my God, they just got four swings, right? You got four swings. I'd much rather go up to bat knowing I got four swings, knowing I'm a good hitter, than just getting one shot, you know? So I'm happy with whatever the Spurs do this offseason. There's not really going to be a lot that can upset me. If they don't land a Levine or they don't land an Aiden or they don't trade up in the draft, again, like you said, they really just don't have a lot of scenarios in which they can emerge as losers. And I think that's why I'm pretty excited for this next season, man. I'm, I'm excited to see even more youth integrated into this roster. I'm excited to see where Primo goes, where Keldon goes, where Devin Vassell goes. Let's see if DeJounte Murray can take that next step. Are we skeptical of that? Yes, but has he proven us wrong before? Yeah. So just really, really excited for this. And I'm also excited to continue doing this draft stuff with you. But man, I think for today... That about does it. That was our fourth draft podcast. There were going to be many more on the way. But Dame, you took an hour of your time to sit down with me. Let me ramble. Let me tell you no to Dyson Daniels. <laughs> it is your time to be the star of the show. You tell everybody where they can find you on social media, where they can find your basketball content, where they can find your football content, any sports ball content.
0: Yeah. Just, <laughs>
1: just, Just tell everybody where they can find you and plug all the stuff that you want, man.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm Hey, man, it's always a pleasure to be here, bro. And another thing, too, you mentioned getting four swings. Shout out to my guy Aaron Judge, man. I mean, he batted two eighty four <laughs> back in 2017, but hit 52 home runs. All that matters, Noah, you can go—we well, can have four cracks and only hit one, but all you need is one home run, baby. That's all you need. Yes, so, sir. Yes, yes, sir. So I think, I think uh, <laughs> like we mentioned, man, the Spurs are going to be in a good spot, but— uh, y'all can go ahead and follow me on Twitter at d a bartonic. That's at d a b a r t o n e k. Uh, check out Pound in the Rock. Everything we're doing. I'm definitely going to be working on some mock drafts as well. I definitely want to get another one sent out uh, this week and just kind of you know talk about some prospects and have y'all learn a little bit from my pieces as well. No, it was really really dope to you know be on with you. And uh, yeah, man, shout out to SB Nation.
1: <laughs> For sure. And man, I-, I always appreciate you just sitting here with me, taking you know. Time out of your day to do these podcasts, to prepare for these podcasts, all the stuff that goes into this from the rundown to the pre show meetings to everything. So, man, I, I really do appreciate you. But I'll let people know where they can find me. As always, you can just find me in underscore Magaro, M A G A R O, on Twitter. Just like Dame, you can find my stuff on Pounding the Rock. We are going to be putting a lot more draft content on there, including this podcast. That'll be up pretty soon here. And then if you really want to go deep dive on my stuff, you can also find some of my writing on compare.bet. I'm doing some draft content from them for some Spurs content for them. So check that stuff out. But man, thank you one more time for joining me. And thank you to everybody who joined us for this edition of Alamo city limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We've got an amazing staff of writers at pounding the rock, including myself and Dame over there. But Go ahead and check everybody's stuff out on our site. Appreciate y'all for supporting the pod. Appreciate you for supporting the writing. And until next time, Spurs fans, take care.